Good evening. I was sitting back there going repeatedly, don't say morning. Don't say morning. This is fun. I'm, I know um, I was talking to Austin outside just before we started, and, uh, you know, one of the things I've, I've, gotten to, I've gotten to get used to doing a lot of youth ministry is high school and middle schoolers are like the flakiest human beings ever, and one week we'll have like 70 kids like running around everywhere, and then the next week they'll be like me and one kid who shows up. And what we, what we learned in that process is really this, is that uh, um, it doesn't matter. That, that, that's never really the point. We, we, we tell um, youth volunteers when they come in, because a lot of people come in from bigger cities, and they'll come into like a youth ministry or something, and they'll walk in and they'll go, well, my youth group had 600 kids. I'm like, yeah, you also had 2 million people. But yeah, and they're like, how come it's so small? And we say, you know, if we end up with six leaders and four kids, that means every single kid's going to get a whole lot of attention that night. So let's think of that at times like this, same way. Um, and we do this for Jesus, and I'm pretty sure he's showing up. And so um, I'm just excited to be doing it regardless of how many people. And we're, this is an experiment, too. We're, we're, we have no idea what to expect. We're going to try this out for a while, see if people like coming to church this late. Apparently you do. Uh, but other than that, we don't know, and we'll play around with it after Labor Day and see where it goes. But uh, it's kind of different, too, because just so you, you know... Um, we're preaching the same messages morning and evening. So if you're like, Beastro, I know you're here this morning. If you're like, oh man, I thought I was going to get a different one. You're not. You're going to get the same one again. Uh, but so we're doing that for a reason. We're, we're doing that so that people just can't pick and choose. Like, oh, I, I like this sermon better than this one. We're doing the same thing every time. But it's tough because uh, Tom brought the heat this morning and it was good. So my, my original plan when I got up here was just going to be like, okay, thanks for the music. Um, we'll have it up on the podcast tomorrow morning. You can listen to it at home. Have a good night, and we'll talk to you later. But I'm not going to do that because it was good. Um, so, but just so you do know, you can listen to the other one as well online. If you're like, do Matt blew it. Uh, I'd like to hear it done well. Um, you can listen to Tom online there. So that's there. But we're excited about all this. But uh, like Tom said, we're in the middle of a series, second part of a series called Imagine. Uh, last week was Imagine Salvation, which was up at the college. It was a good time. Um, we had a lot of fun. This week is Imagine Belonging. And the interesting thing about belonging that we found is this, and especially in being a pastor, is this. is Belonging is something that everybody wants. I don't care if you believe in Jesus or not or anything else. People want to belong, especially the community. It's one of the most sought-after things um, that I, I've ever seen. And, and one of the ways that I think my generation lives this out, and it's very obvious, is in things like, I love Facebook. It's, it's great. It's, it's a great way to connect with people. I'm not knocking those kinds of things. But what I am saying is that I, I have a fear that we may be replacing real belonging with things that really don't suffice in the long term. Does that make sense? Just, I mean, let's just be honest. Online community, I don't think is real community. You can argue with me about that. I think it's a great way to connect with people. I think it's a great way, like our friend Lauren, who just got back from South Korea, Ari was able to, to Skype with her, or video chat. No, those are all great things. But doing life together, which is a term we, we use here a lot, requires face-to-face, one-on-one interaction. It, it involves things like meals, eating together, uh, sharing in each other's pains and sorrows. It, it, it's difficult to do and typing, and, and one of the best ways I can see this, and all right, I just thought of this example, so I hope you don't mind, but when sometimes I've noticed when people text message, and they get in like these, like they think somebody said something this way in a text message because they, they, they assume that like they said it like, fine, I'm not coming over, and it's like, oh, fine, I, I, I'm not coming over tonight, is how it actually got interpreted. I've seen some arguments go down via text message that should have never gone down. Now, that's a stupid example, but I think it is true. I think real community, real belonging takes place like right here, being here together, um, having friends. That's always a good thing. Real friends, not like 711 that I have on Facebook, okay? So, yeah, and if you're not my friend, I'll accept you, obviously. I accept everybody, so you can friend me on there. <laughs> All right, what am I talking about? Okay. Bottom line is this, is at some point, every one of us wonders if we belong. 
What do we belong to? And, and, and Tom this morning sh- shared a great quote that he found from Mother Teresa, and I think it's phenomenal. Mother Teresa said this. She said, the biggest disease today is not leprosy or cancer. It's the feeling of being uncared for, unwanted, or being deserted and alone. It's the biggest disease that exists um, when, when she said that, and I, and I don't think much has changed. It, uh, alone is a scary thing, and I mean, what's the, what's the worst punishment you can get in our judicial system in prison? Solitary confinement. They stick you alone in a jail cell. But here's the scary thing is what we're finding is that a lot of people are doing that voluntarily. And they come in, and we, I mean, we just can't tell you how many people have come in and just said, I'm alone. I, I, I don't belong to anything. Nobody knows me. Nobody knows these things. And it's really difficult because this is what the church is supposed to be. And, and, that, and that's a bit of an indictment on me as a pastor, but then the church as a whole. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at a, a book called um, Ruth, which is in the Old Testament. It's, it's towards the beginning. Um, if you don't have a Bible, the we're going to have all the scriptures up here on the, up on the screen. And it's just this beautiful, beautiful story of belonging amongst this group of women. And then there's this guy that comes in later named Boaz, who's just a complete stud. Um, there's, there's certain guys that guys should emulate, and Boaz is one of them. Okay? There's certain guys that guys want to emulate, and I think you know what I'm talking about. And Boaz is one of them for sure because he understands what it means to take care of somebody, and we'll go into that more in depth here in a minute. But let's just dive in. We're going to read the whole book, but I'm not going to read it. I'm going to kind of skim through. I'm going to pull out some verses. We're going to look at them, and then we'll talk about it, and then we'll just unpack this at the end. But just I kind of want to, in case I forget which I, I do this a lot. I like to give you the ending before I end because a lot of times I just get going and I don't even know where I'm going and then I forgot to give you the main point. But here's the point of this story and see if you can catch it as we go through it. The redemption of Jesus, okay, redemption plus his church. Okay, now I'm not talking about Bethany. I'm talking about his church, his people, the people that he empowers to do his work. So redemption plus his church equals real belonging. Okay, redemption plus his church equals real belonging. So that's that's the gist of tonight. So you know, so if you fall asleep, you you, you got it. You're you're good. And I probably shouldn't do this because if anybody's listening to the podcast, they're probably just turning it off right now. Uh, But that's okay. So let's dive in. Um, Here's how Ruth starts off. It's pretty bad. Tom said this morning it starts off like a really bad country song, which I totally agree with, where basically it's just tragedy after tragedy. Don't worry, there's no dog that dies, and he gets, and there's no, like, taking the, the uh, satellite dish in the Ford truck. There's none of that. But there is a level of just, it's just depressing. You, you start off this book, and, and not only just depressing, but depressing by, by the names, um, so it starts off, here's our main characters. We've got this lady named Naomi. And her husband is Elimelech, which is a funny name. But Elimelech means, um, I believe it's, is it, uh, I forgot, it doesn't matter. God is my king, something along those lines. But he, he has this great name. But Elimelech is freaking out because there's a famine. We, we would all forget. And then they live, in a, they live in a town called Bethlehem. I'm sure a lot of us have heard of that town. Um, Pretty famous guy came from there, but he, he's in this. He's in a town called Bethlehem, and Bethlehem's having a famine, which is kind of comical because I don't know if you know this, but Bethlehem means um, like bread house, house of bread. So the house of bread is having a famine, which is just an oxymoron in itself. But it's having a famine. He's freaking out because he wants to keep his family alive, and so he decides that they're going to move to Moab, and and it's not Moab, Utah. It's it's Moab. Like in the Middle East, okay, far, far, far away from here. So, so he decides they're going to move to Moab. Now, now, here's the interesting thing about them moving to Moab, is that the Israelites didn't go to Moab. You, if you're a Jew, you don't go to Moab. Moab. Moabites were some pretty crazy people. They were the literal definition of sexually deviant. Imagine it as bad as you can imagine it, and that's what they were. And so basically, in the law, it basically said, you don't 
It says you don't lay with them, which is the biblical term. So don't sleep with them. You, you don't go there. You don't go there. So, but Elimelech's like, hey, which is, I found it strange that there's a famine going on in Bethlehem and, and Moab's 50 miles away and there's not one going on there. But anyways, they go there and, and, and he goes there for, for the main reason of saving his family. Now, they have two sons named Malon and Chilean, uh, which are interesting names because uh, one of them means sick and the other one means crying. So that's some interesting names to name your children. So sick and crying in Elimelech and Naomi, the family, they pack up and they move to Moab. And they're in Moab now and they're there. And basically, during this time, wherever you lived, the people that surrounded you, that's who you were going to marry. So the two sons, they marry Moabite women because that's where they lived. So they end up marrying Moabite women. Shortly after this, what happens is... Pretty much everybody dies. It's just how it goes. The men, they all die. Elimelech, he dies. Uh, sick and crying. I, I'm saying their names that way because I don't want to try to pronounce it again. They die, and so you have three widows. You have three widows together, and, and all this happened, and I, I don't want to just... A fear I have with reading the Bible is, is inserting too much of my opinion and what I think it means, but, but I, I don't think there's, a, I think there's a deep meaning here that they left Bethlehem where God called them to be for another place so that they wouldn't die, but they all died. I don't know. You can play around with that on your own time and your own study, but it just it, it intrigued me because it's just, that wasn't the point of them moving there. They, they, they failed on, on, on that one. But anyway, so, so now we have the three of them together. And we're going to, let's pull up the first verse, Ryan, and we'll, we'll dive in. It's, uh, we're going to be in Ruth chapter 1, verse 10. Naomi decides that she's going to go home, like I think anybody would. She's like, my husband's dead. You young women have a chance to remarry. You're young. You can, you, you can pull this out, but I'm going to go home, at least where I have a chance. I have family there. So I'm going to get out of here. And, and, and here's what Naomi and, and um, it's Ophrah, not Oprah, Ophrah, this is what they say to her. It says this, and they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. Okay? They're determined that they're going to stay there, that they're going to be with them, and that they're going to go back. Now let's go to verse 14. I'm going to skip through a little bit. And she basically says, No. You need to stay here. And here's what happens. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Now, now, let's not just skim through this and miss the major points here. Because there's some really deep stuff going on here. They both wept and cried that, that they're leaving. And I'm sure it was emotional. And I believe that, oh, over, that it was emotional. I, I don't doubt that. But one just kissed her and left. And what did Ruth do? She clung to her. She clung to her. And, and, and Naomi sees this going on. And, she's, and, and I'm just picturing the whole situation going on because for whatever reason, they must have had a phenomenal relationship. They must have had just this phenomenal relationship. And, and, and she clings to her, it says. Now, oh, I'm not done yet. You go back. It's okay. Now, I think we talked about the Facebook thing before. Real belonging, real friendship, real love, it, it, it has a clinginess to it. Uh, I, I remember when I, when I got my, when I, I thought I was in love with my first girlfriend, and I seriously thought I would do like anything in the world, or that, that wasn't really true, because obviously we're not together. But I got married to Ari, and I learned how true that was. Like we started dating, and like I would be stoked if she would let me wash her car, you know, I, whatever I could do when we started dating. And, and, and if if things got tough, it wasn't a determined. It wasn't like mm, you know, hey, I'm sorry that your husband's dead, mine's dead. And, and you know, and, and here's the thing: is Oprah had every right. To, I mean, her husband died, 
th- this lady, her mother-in-law shows up and everything around her dies. She, I mean, w- would you really want to hang out with that person? Let's just be honest here. Because when we read the Bible, a lot of times it's easy to look at it and go, yeah, I look at her, she, she's a wimp. But I think most of us, a lot of times, that might be more us. Go, this woman, everything around her is just dying. Just, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm, we'll, we'll cry, it's sad, but I'm going to kiss you goodbye. And I'm going to move on with my life, and I'm going to do my thing. But, but there was a deep love that existed here between Naomi and Ruth. And Ruth just clung to her. It wouldn't let go. And, and, and you can even see Naomi, and I just picture it in your head, as she says to her, says, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after, after your sister-in-law. She's like, don't, don't stay. Go back. I, I'm ruined. Especially, I mean, if you understand culturally what, what's going on here. First up, it's a woman in the Middle East several thousand years ago. It's not the best time to be a woman in history. She's like, I'm ruined. Don't stay with me. Let's go to the next verse. It says, Ruth said, and this is huge, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Verse 17. Is it in there? Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. That is commitment. I'm going to go where you go. This, this, this lady's like the equivalent of, of what about Bob, but in, in the good side, right? Right? But not, not like they're trying to get rid of him. She's like, I'm going to what, what about Bob you all day long. I am not going to leave. I am here for the long haul. You cannot get rid of me. I love you. Not going anywhere. Verse 19. So the two of them went out, went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? Okay, this is actually kind of funny that a couple thousand years ago when a bunch of new women would come into town, that a bunch of other women would start talking about new women that are in town. I'm glad things have changed and we don't see that happening anymore. But but, 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 but they roll into town. But this, it is kind of funny, but it's also deep in the sense of that she's retur- she left full. It says this in there in Scripture. She says, I left full and I've returned empty. You just remember at this time, everything was assumed that you, you had sinned, you had done something to dishonor God. And so people, I mean, I'm just, I'm just imagining that when they walked in, have you ever walked into a room or a building or a classroom or a place where you worked or something and, and, and you knew, like if you had done something actually that maybe wasn't considered great or you had pushed somebody's buttons and you could just feel the weight of that room come in on you? This is a whole city. When they walk in, they're like, that's Naomi. And she's bringing a Moabite woman with her? Are you kidding me? A Moabite? We don't even hang out with the Moabites. We don't go anywhere near the Moabites. Let's just, I'm going to skip ahead a chunk because I just want to for no other reason. Let's go to chapter 2, verse 8, Ryan. What's going on here is this, is they're homeless. They're walking around a city. They're just homeless. They have nothing to do. And, and, and so what they do is, it's called gleaning is what they called it. And, it, and it's the, it, it was their equivalent of today's dumpster diving, basically. So what they do is they, the men would be out clearing the barley fields. They'd be out there clearing them. And whatever was left behind, like the, the barley was too small, um, it was bruised, it was broken, or, or just stuff that they dropped. It, it was part of Jewish law, actually, that the, 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 these peasant women could come behind them, basically, and pick it up so they had something to eat. 
so they didn't start. So, so they're out there gleaning in the fields is what it's called. And they're out there gleaning. And, and let's pick it up here in, in chapter 2, verse 8. And, it's, and, and so Boaz sees her out there and, and, and sees what's going on. And, and he says this, Now listen, my daughter, do not go glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Okay, Boaz is a good guy. He sees Ruth out in the field. Now, just being honest here, Boaz recognizes that this is a Moabite woman who is, she's, she's homeless, basically, and she's Moabite, which puts her as low as low as can be. So you were, she was much more susceptible to things like rape, abuse, whole list of things. Boaz recognizes this. And he says to her, he's like, don't go to another field. Let's go to verse, verse 9, Ryan. Let your eyes be on the field that you are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. So not only is, is he letting her go out and glean in the field and stay in her field and be protected, he's giving her water that his workers are drawing from. Next verse. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? This has massive implications on us as a church. And when I say us, I don't mean Bethany. I mean, I mean the church universal, the body of believers. For far, 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 far too long, foreigners, and I'm not talking about people who are from Canada, okay? It's not what I'm talking about here. Okay, they, they are strange. But <laughs> what I'm talking about is I'm talking about people that are different than us. You're in a Baptist church right now. Just being honest, I, I, I realize it's one of the things I really like to do, and there's a book out there called Unchristian, and it's just basically a sociological view, um, review of our culture and what their views are of the church. Do you know what the number one thing that culture says about Baptists when you say, what do you think of when you think of a Baptist? They say, the number one thing is homophobic, they hate, they hate music. That was number two. And then the number three thing was judgmental. Those are the top three. That's what the church of Jesus is known for in our culture today. What if a person walks through our doors who is so different than us? And, and, and personally, what if they hate our God? Do we welcome them? What do we do with those people? Well, just being honest, over time, we haven't done a very good job. Because people don't think these things for no reason. People have experienced, some of you may be sitting here today and saying, I know what those people went through. I know what that feels like. But, but here we see the Bible clearly teaching that Boaz was able to reach out to a foreigner. And, and trust me, she was viewed as low as low could get. We have a whole lot of reaching out to do in this community. Tons of it. We've done the statistical research. Basically, 90% of our community doesn't go to a church at all. And they're really not interested in coming into one. How, how, how does a church become irresistible like Jesus? How does it become irresistible like that? Where, where he would walk out and he would speak... And thousands would come around to listen. I mean, have you ever really thought about that? that? That just blows my mind that thousands of people would come around to listen to him teach. When, when, okay, this thing didn't exist, the microphone, chances are most people were standing back saying, what did he say? What did he say? Catching little tiny pieces, but yet that was still enough for them to continue following. What did he do? Well, just look into your Bible. Read the Gospels. He fed them, didn't he? Fishes and loaves are all the people there. He said, feed the people. 
He healed people. He prayed for people. He loved people. He, now, now let, let's not go too far on, on, on the side of just saying that he was just like um, a glorified Salvation Army guy, okay? Because he taught really hard things as well. Well, well, there's a balance here that the church needs to be striking because this stuff is hard. It's really hard. Let's go to verse 11. But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to the people that you did not know before. Verse 12. And this is a prayer. He prays this over her. He says, The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward will will be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Here's something really cool. Boaz doesn't know this yet, but he is the answer to the prayer. He says, he, he says a couple things. The wings, that have wings to, to cover you, to, 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 to take care of you, and where you seek refuge. Now, how many of us, and this drives me nuts, I'm really bad at prayer. I said that a couple weeks ago when I preached on prayer. I'm, I'm not very good at it. I have the attention span of a two-year-old. I, I, like, I mean, just right into the beginning, I started thinking about everything else. I'm not very good at it. I, I mean, I, I, everybody's like, oh, I had a great quiet time. I'm just, I, I'm not that good at it. But sometimes people will come to me and, and they'll be like, hey, I want to pray for you. Can we pray together? Can we, can, can, can we talk about this? And, and we start praying. And, and these are the times when I, when I can focus. Is when I know a person when they're praying for me, if they could be the prayer, they would. They want to be the prayer. If I'm sick and they, and, they, and they really want God to heal me, and if they could, they would, and if they, God would empower them to do that, they would be so excited to do that. For whatever reason, I can focus then. And may, you may be going, Matt, you're pretty selfish. Yeah, I am. So are you. That's what you would want. But I pay attention to those prayers. The prayers that I have trouble with where, are when they say, Lord, so glad we're not like those people. So glad I have food. Lord, I'm so glad that I'm warm. Thank you for making me warm. Thank you for, for giving me a warm house. Thank you for giving me a coat. Thank God I am not like them. I check out. I'm done. Because I don't think God's really listening to that garbage either. I think God wants to use those people to answer prayers because that, that's what the church is. Do you, do you, have you ever thought of that, that you are an answer to prayer? How willing are we to be that? To, to be like, God, if you want to use me to answer prayer, use me. But we can't be a group of people who pray for people in, 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 the, in the second way that I described. We need to be people when we pray over them, that we will pray that we can be their wings and their refuge. And when we get the opportunity, we take full advantage of it. We take full advantage of it. Now, I'm going to skip ahead because I encourage you to read the rest of the book on your own. But basically, here's what happens. Is this. It's kind of a weird story, to be honest. A lot of stuff in the Old Testament, I don't really get it. But it was custom. He's sleeping on his threshing floor and she comes and uncovers his feet and lays at his feet and he wakes up and kind of freaks out like any of us would. If you just woke up in the middle of the night, single guys, and there was some chick, actually, you probably wouldn't freak out. I'm looking at you guys and I'm going, you'd probably be pretty stoked on that, but let's just not go there right now, okay? Like, if, 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 some, if some woman's just sleeping at your feet, like, what are you doing, Crete? That's what I would think. But no, he doesn't respond. He's like, who are you? And he, and he basically responds back to her and says, I mean, she responds back to him and says, I'm your servant. I'm here. And and what this meant was she was basically saying, I want you to marry me. I want you to redeem me. 
In this, in this time, it was really important to be redeemed, to, to, have, to, to have a place, to have land, to have somebody take care of you, to, to belong to a family, to belong to a community. He doesn't have to. Because he's not the closest relative. This Elimelech guy is like, I, I don't know how far off from direct relative, but he is related to Naomi, which then makes him related to Ruth. But it's pretty separate, so it's not weird marriage. You know, it's, it's pretty far apart, so we're okay here. We're not going Jerry Springer on, on you here, okay? It, it, it's pretty far apart. But, but she's saying, will you redeem me? That's what it meant when she went and lay there. And, and he swears to her. He goes, I can't just do it. I have to talk to the man that comes before me. But I swear to you that you will be redeemed. Everybody's going, oh, cool, he's getting a wife. He's this guy who is well thought of. He has fields. He has servants. It, we know that because in here it says that he prays over them. He gives a blessing over them. He's well thought of. It says that in here. And he's going to marry a Moabite woman and redeem her. I know some of you guys are going, well, maybe she's really hot. Maybe, I don't know, okay? But that's not the point. Social status was really important here. So what he does is he goes to, he goes to the first relative and says, will you redeem her? And basically he says, no. It's not going to happen because if I redeem her and, 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 and you guys have kids, my, my kids will lose their inheritance. So what he does is he ends up basically... He, he marries her. He marries her. And, and, and it gets cool because they have a kid. They have a kid, and Naomi gets, gets to take care of him, gets to become basically a nurse at home. And because cause here's the thing is not only this is Ruth gets redeemed, but so does Naomi. She gets her inheritance to her land back. And the name of the kid is this, and this is, this is some pretty wild stuff. I lost it in my notes. I'm going to have to redo this note thing someday. But basically their kid falls in line and is the grandfather of David. And David is in the lineage of Jesus. Do you see why this book is just so full of redemption? You just had two women... Poor, homeless, picking stuff, stuff up off the ground to survive. A man comes in, he redeems them, and now he redeems them. He ends up marrying one of them, and they have a kid, and that kid ends up becoming in the lineage. So, so these people fall in the lineage of Jesus. What does that say about our God? That he wants people to belong. And, 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 and he is not concerned with the rules that go behind that. He'll use anyone who is willing. One of the things we always say here is it's not about ability, it's about availability. That's the great thing about our God. But the question here is this, is for belonging for us tonight. Is... Are you just imagining belonging? That's what we're calling this series, Imagine. Not because we want you to imagine it. We think that's silly. We're actually making fun of it. Are you imagining it? Or are you experiencing it? Because it's real. We have people here in this church, I don't know if you know this, who belong. Some of you are here. They belong. And, and, and not like... Oh, you're a member, so you belong more than this person. I'm saying they belong. I mean, it, yeah, we think membership is an important thing here, but that's not what we're talking about. There's people who are just willing to sacrifice. So, like, it blows my mind how much they're willing to do to help. They'll come in early in the morning and help us do stuff. We got guys, um, that, I can talk about him because he's not here, a friend of mine, Chris Brueggemann, and, and he's just like this ridiculous construction dude. I mean, he's a timber worker. I guess he's just 
insanely respected, has his own shop, makes furniture. He does all this stuff, and he wants to come in here, and he's just like, he's always looking at stuff, and he's like, you know what, I, I can improve this and make this better. And, and you know why he does that? He belongs here. He has an investment here in the people here. And he really desires that. And, 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 and he, he's not just a casual goer because he wants to belong. He, he came here. I remember when we sat down for the first time, he, he goes, you know what he said to me? He's like, I just want to belong somewhere. I want it to feel like home. So I was like, man, I need more friends. You seem like a cool guy. You look around the room. We brew beer together. And, and like, he taught me all this cool stuff. He's just a neat guy. He's just a neat guy. And like, I was like, man, this is great. And so now I have this new friend. And you see how this goes? But, but, but here, here's the thing. It's really hard. Because the other day I was being a jerk in my small group to somebody individually. And afterwards, he goes, hey, can we have lunch tomorrow? And I was like, sure. And he sat me down. He's like, dude, you were being a jerk. And I was like, you're right, I was. You see, belonging means accountability. Belonging means when, when the bad stuff happens, because it will, that you don't run away, that you don't kiss them and say, I'm so sorry this has happened, and leave. You don't pray the prayer of them that maybe somebody will come to help them. You are the prayer to them. And, and here's our fear in doing this and bringing this message up is that far too many of us are just imagining it. But we're not really experiencing it. Because it's hard. Romans 7, 4 says this. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another. Who's that another? Jesus. To him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit. That is who you belong to. Do you understand the power in that? If you believe in Jesus, that's, that, that's what it is. I don't really know how else to put it. Is a dude who raised from the dead, he's got some power. That's who you belong to. Let's act like it. I remember when I first started doing this Jesus thing, I was in high school, and, and to be honest, I'd done some pretty messed up stuff. Not, nothing too bad where I'm like, I would be horrible, but I really like, I, well, a lot of things happened. Christian people freaked me out, raising hands, that stuff was weird to me. It still kind of is sometimes, just being honest. I'm a pretty reserved guy, but... The, 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 there's, the, there's things that just weirded me out. There's things that I didn't get. But I, I went to this church. It was in northern Kentucky, and it was so ghetto. It met in a YMCA, and we used wrestling pads on their side as walls. And, 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 and at this point, like, I was showing up to church stoned, <laughs> and they knew it. I didn't think they did. They told me later that they did. And... Uh, these people were cool with me. I mean, they weren't, let's get this straight. They weren't cool with me coming to their, their, their church messed up. They, they didn't want that for me. They saw that that's probably not the best route as a 17-year-old guy. Okay, they, they recognized that. But I remember their pastor, he took me out for lunch a bunch. We'd go, we'd go to BW3s. For those of you who lived in Gunnison your whole life, it's the most beautiful place ever created. There's just TVs everywhere full of sports and chicken wings more than you could ever eat. Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. I, I love it. It's just, I'm salivating right now just thinking about it. But he'd take me there, and we'd get lunch all the time, we'd talk, and then I remember I met these people, and uh, they, they were doing okay. They weren't just super rich or anything like that, but they, uh, they lost everything. He, he worked for this company called Wild Flavors, which makes like the flavor for Go-Gurt was his job, which I thought was really cool. But he got fired, and, and they lost everything, and they had to sell their house, basically, and they were living in a friend's trailer, I didn't know what to do, and, and I came to him, and I was just like, what do you, like, because I, I, I knew their daughter. I said, what are you guys going to do? They're like, oh, we're not worried about it. I was like, what do you mean you're not worried about it? They're like, well, we're worried about it, but we are scared. Let's just be honest, but we got a pretty big God, and, and, and he's going to take care of us, and we belong to a church that's, that's going to not let us go down. <laughs> my mind was blown. I had never seen anything like that before in my life. They couldn't beat me off with a stick. 
from that point on. I was there all the time, showing up at their houses, seriously. And it was a 45-minute drive. I think the same thing would happen here if our church existed that way. If we read this story, we saw the deep belonging that Ruth and Naomi had together and, and what God did with that and how they, ro- how they rose up from it. And it's, I don't know if it's always going to be so pretty for all of us. probably isn't. But I remember thinking at one point, how could I be redeemed? How, how, how could this God want me? Okay? I'd, I'd done some bad things. How could he want me? And, and then I remember coming to this, and, and you can read it on your own time. You can write down your notes. It's, it's Luke chapter 23, verses 39 through 43. And it's just this beautiful story where Jesus is, and, and I know it's hard, to, it's hard to imagine something beautiful when somebody's on a cross. But it's this beautiful story when Jesus is on the cross, and he's hanging there, and there's two thieves on each side. There's a thief on each side, side of him. And one is just yelling at him, he's mocking him, saying, oh, you're the son of God, then why don't you just get down from here? Do something about it. And the other guy looks at him, and, and I'm just picturing this going on, and, and, and he looks at him, and he, and he yells over to him, and he says, we deserve to be here. What we've done is bad enough to be up here. The man right here, Jesus, next to us, he doesn't deserve to be here. And he looks at Jesus and he says this. He says, Jesus, can you forgive me? It's basically what he says. And Jesus looks right back at him and says, today you will be with me in paradise. He forgives him of everything right there. And here's the interesting thing is this guy was obviously pretty bad. He'd done something pretty horrible. There was no chance for him to ever get down from there and do anything right. He couldn't go work at a soup kitchen to work stuff off. He couldn't get down from there and he couldn't go be a good son to his mom. He couldn't get down from there. He couldn't do anything except for trust in God who was much bigger than him. That's all he could do. For some of you, that needs to be really relieving to know that that's the requirements God has on you. It's not a list of rules. It's not a list of regulations. Now, it doesn't mean you can just go out and be like, all right, Matt said it's not a, we can do whatever we want. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying it's not a list of rules. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter how hard you work. The reason he was up there was so that you could belong to him. That was the whole purpose. That's the reason for the cross. It's because God created us and he wants us to be with him. But there was a price that had to be paid and he took it on himself. And all he's saying is like, hey, it's, it's not that complicated, guys. No matter what, how bad you think it is. First John 3.16 says this. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. That's my challenge to you. I mean, okay, let's be realistic. Chances are, Matt, chances are today when we walk out of here, I'm not gonna have to like, take a bullet for you, man. I don't know you well enough to do it yet either, but maybe. Um, but what he's saying is, are you gonna love people this way? Are you going to do it this heavily? Or, or, or are you going to be a kiss them goodbye? Or are you going to be a clinger? This is the, okay, this is one time where being clingy is good. Are you going to belong? And we, we hope you feel welcome here. We really do. Something we really strive for. We encourage you to read the whole book of Ruth on your own. It's a short book. Read it and you just see the redemption that lies in there. Take it to heart. Soak it up. We just told you a beautiful story so that you would literally sit here and go, I want that. And then my job was to tell you, you don't have to imagine that. You can have that. So let's stop imagining and let's actually do it. What we're going to do here is Ryan's going to come up. Um, we're going to take Lord's Supper.
which I, I just spoke about what, what the cross was. And, and before, before Jesus died, he, he got all of his disciples together in a room. And uh, they, they ate bread, and he broke it and basically said, this is my body, which is going to be broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And he took, he took the cup of, of wine, or Welch's grape juice, which we have, and he said, this is my blood. It'll be poured out for you. It's a new and everlasting covenant. Drink it in remembrance of me. And what that was was an open invitation, saying, it's all going to be taken care of. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, we have it up here, and we encourage you to take it on your own time, and we actually encourage you not to take it as much as we encourage you to take it, because it's a serious thing. Um, it's a serious thing because it, it, it represents what, who, who, who we believe God is and his sacrifice. So, so, so we take that heavily. And, and, and the Bible talks about specifically, it says if your heart's not right for it, that if your heart's not in the right place, if, if you're sitting here tonight and you're just thinking about how, how ticked off you are at somebody, it's probably not the right night for that kind of thing. And it's not a judgmental thing. It's, it's let's be serious in this time. And so what we're going to do is we're going to have a time where uh, we'll allow you just to pray, be quiet, meditate for just a minute, and just think through the redemptive nature of this story that we just, we just witnessed. And when you're ready, you can come up and you, you can take it yourself. But one of the things we want you to do tonight, a little different than normal, is we don't want anybody to do it alone. We want you to serve somebody else. The whole point of tonight is not going alone. If you want to take it with somebody, a friend, a spouse, and serve each other. And take it, pray with each other, belong to one another in a very, very deep way. Probably one of the deepest ways I can think of doing it. So I'm going to shut up. Ryan's going to play. Just take some time. Uh, and uh, yeah.
feel free uh, to take your time. We're going to be in here for a while. We're, we're, Ryan's going to do a song here in a second. You can. There's no hurry. That's one of the good things about not having a service right after this. Is if you want to stay in here and pray for a while, you're more than welcome. If 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 you want to take me while we sing this last song, that's fine. If you want to wait till everybody goes, you can do that. If you don't want to take it at all, you don't have to do that. If you want to pray with somebody, Tom and I will be here. Bistro's here. We, you know, if, if there's anything we can help you with, we want to be available to that. Uh, we, we, we do pray that tonight, maybe in the first time in a long time, some of you feel like you belong to something really big. We, we really pray that for you guys. So, God bless you and good night.